There we go. Okay, I don't you heard that. Now that's a podcast. Good evening, and welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pull up a chair, pour yourself a pint, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how you doing? Good, Robert. It's my second time on since my little hiatus in the hospital and surgery, and it's good to be back. And you lined up a, a stellar show for us tonight. Uh, our listeners will be very impressed with our erudite company in the form of Jesse, Dennis, and Chris. Um, but it's good to be back, and it's good to be back with you on, on the podcast. And it's great to have you back as well, Dennis. I mean, back in the saddle, I hope you don't have the saddle sores from your, your first go around. And uh, as you were just hinting at, uh, kind of throwing you back into the deep end, because for the very first time here on the Pines and Pews podcast, we actually have multiple guests. That's right. That's right. Not two, but actually three guests. You're right. Three guests. And before we introduce uh, our guests, though, I did want to make a pre-show shout out to uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul, who I met a week and a half ago uh, while I was doing a book signing over at Cherub's Cupboard in Oshawa. Now, I don't want to give Paul a, a shout out just because he happened to buy two of my books. But one of the reasons why the and the reason why I wanted to give Paul a, a shout out is that, you know, as we're having a, a great conversation, uh, he mentioned how, you know, at this time of year, we're mid to pushing late December and, you know, people, he'll say Merry Christmas to people and people say, no, it's not Merry Christmas. It's, it's happy holidays. And his comeback to that is, is you know, if you want to wish me happy holidays, wish me happy holidays in July when I'm actually going on holidays, right? Right now in December, Christ is the reason for the season uh, and it should be Merry Christmas. Absolutely. And, and, and we will, uh, We'll certainly get into some finer points of that, but not, my shout out is to you, Robert. It's a, it's a simple one. It's just because in the last few four, uh, three to four months, you've held down the fort. You've got some excellent guests. You put me onto some great podcasts while I was recuperating, including the liturgy guys who were lucky enough to have on the show tonight. And um, it's good to be back with you. And it's good to be having this banter again. And we're going to learn a lot tonight. Um, and I, I, I've gone on to a couple of their podcasts and uh I can't believe uh, how, you know, great they make it for the, just for the average guy. And I think people who maybe are a little intimidated, I was by the, by their podcast name, the liturgy guys are going to be really impressed tonight and they should eventually go on themselves and check it out. Okay. So now that you, you've hinted at, at our guest upside down and backwards and forwards, uh, we'll just kind of give a, a quick rundown. So that, yeah, this evening, as you said, Dennis, we are joined by three very erudite gentlemen who also function as a cohesive unit. And like most things, it's good to know about the parts so that we can also understand the whole. And so in no particular order, or well, maybe okay, alphabetical order, uh, we'll, we'll go through the list. And I picked alphabetical order because I didn't want to, to, to come across as playing favorites. So we'll start with, with Christopher Karstens. You know, Chris Karstens is the director of the Office of Sacred Worship in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He is a visiting faculty member at the Liturgical Institute and editor of the Adoramus Bulletin, where is actually where I first got to know about Chris. And outside one of our, our colleagues there, Dennis, he probably has the best beard I have ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. 
Dr. Dennis McNamara is an associate professor at and executive director of the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. His PhD research in architectural history concentrated on ecclesiastical architecture in the 19th and 20th centuries. And finally, but by no means least, it's just because both first and last names are at the end of the alphabet here for us, is Jesse Weiler, who is the director of the Liturgical Institute at St. Mary of the Lake University in Mundelein, Illinois. He's also the one that I had the hardest time finding any biographical information about. So he, I think he likes to be a little incognito on, on the internet there. And together, these three gentlemen are the men behind the mics of the Liturgy Guys podcast, where Jesse hosts and drops the odd joke or two, while Chris and Dennis talk about different aspects of the Catholic liturgy. Like you said, uh, my co-host Dennis, not to be confused with Dennis, our guest, and we figured that out, that we've got co-host Dennis is Dennis with two ends and guest Dennis is Dennis with, with one end. Um, but they, they talk about the faith and, the, and they talk about the liturgy and make it accessible to every man Catholic, as I heard on one of their podcasts today, to, to Joe and Mary Catholic. And they also will answer a question for their listeners, a liturgy question. And they're well into their sixth season sharing the treasures of the sacred liturgy with English-speaking Catholics across the globe. Amongst all of that, somehow they found time to, to pencil themselves in for a date and a beverage here on the Pints and Pews podcast. So gentlemen, liturgy guys, welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. Hey, thanks very much. Happy to be here. Happy to do this with yeah, you. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Dennis. Great to Thank you. you Happy to be here. It's it's great having you guys. Maybe I'm going to ask for you guys. Maybe if you could just introduce yourselves, just you know, a, a hi, I am, so that way our listeners can then put a name with the voice. Mm, okay, I'll go first. Not because I'm the, the 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 best or the greatest, only because I'm alphabetical. There we go. Uh, so I'm Chris uh, uh, with the beard, who lives in uh, Wisconsin and works for uh, for the diocese. And I'm Dennis McNamara. People call me DMac. That's my my rapper name when I'm not uh, teaching liturgy. And uh, I'm in Atchison, Kansas, which is uh, not near anything. And I'm Jesse Weiler. I live in the Chicago area, and I am the director of the Liturgical Institute. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. After reading all of those bios. And talking with, with Dennis with two ends, I'm getting a little dry. So as we do here on the Pints and Pews podcast, we are all going to sit here uh, with a pint. So I'm going to ask, maybe we'll go in reverse alphabetical order this time. Jesse, what did you bring to drink with us this evening? Well, um, two end Dennis was lamenting that he could, so the podcast is only long enough for one beer. So I have a sour monkey uh, trapel and it's a high alcohol percentage. So, you know, you could do one and you'll be all right. If we'll it, the podcast the goes a little bit, right. Yeah. The podcast goes long. You're totally good. But this is a, this is a sour trapel. I recently got into uh, sours last summer. I was at a, a brewery in uh, Muncie, Indiana and had my first sour and I really loved it. So it's a thing I'm trying in the last uh, few weeks to try it again and pick it up. I, I like it. So who makes that? Does Victory make that? Is that is that the name of the company or just yeah, Victory? Uh, Victory makes it. Um, but the the place that I uh, had 
had visited a monster. Chris, what is that brewery again? I totally forgot it off the top oh, of my three head. Floyds? Three Floyds. Three if, Floyds. Uh, it's, it's like this really small town in Indiana, close to Chicago, but they have a brewery there, really good food as well. But just, the beer there is just amazing. Absolutely delicious. Excellent. Yeah, I had a visit to Indiana once uh, down to Evansville, which is probably the complete other end of the, the, the state. A very good friend of mine uh, married a girl from Evansville. So uh, we, we had a drive out. And being in the Advent season, they, they got married close to Santa Claus, Indiana. And the, la- and the lady playing the organ at the wedding was Mrs. Christmas. No word of a lie. And then they honeymooned in hell, Michigan, right? <laughs> that, that part, I don't know, but. <laughs> so DMAC, what, yeah. what, what are you drinking, sir? Well, I am, I'm the heretic of the group and you know why I don't like beer. I'm no offense, but I don't, <laughs> don't have beer sc- in my fridge. I don't. Don't you screen beer. these people before? I don't really like show? beer. Is there a mute button more, on there? More for the rest of <laughs> More for the but rest I'll tell of you. Us. Chris came to visit and Jesse too a couple of weeks ago. And Chris, you know, needed beer. So we went to the store and bought. So I have a beer in my hand that I'm <laughs> going to drink. It's called Boulevard Space Camper Cosmic IPA India Pale Ale, made by Boulevard Brewing right here in Kansas City. So Maybe I'll drink, drink it. That? Are you going to drink that, DMAC? Or well, I, I kind of feel a peer pressure. Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I drink no, because you, I think you mean your... beer pressure? Beer pressure. Oh. On your show, you had, I believe you had the Cordial Catholic. Did you not? I think you mentioned that on one of your podcasts. Did you? Have... Yeah, I've been on his show a couple yeah, times. Yeah, and now. Robert had him on. Robert wasn't that. He didn't have any beer. Did yeah, no, the, cord, the Cordial Catholic. Actually, Keith and I both are, are from the same hometown. Oh yeah, and, and we both have the same the same taste in beer. So he loves the old flame, which is in the, the town where I am. Uh, he he loves their red. No, it was um, Dominic from Smart Catholics. Smart Catholic. That uh, he's also not a beer drinker, and so we get started and kind of deer in the headlights, like we hear now with, with Dennis with one end. Kind of, what, what do you mean you're not a beer drinker? I, okay, okay. But no, don't, don't, don't feel the, don't feel let, the pressure. Oh, wait, no, listen to this. There we okay, go. I don't know if you heard that. Now that's a podcast. There. <laughs> but he had a dandelion tea, so just so you know. God, it's like drinking the taste of hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, anyway, a, I can tell you all about my genetic predisposition to flavors, but it's too boring for your podcast. Uh, I'm a super taster, so things taste bad to me. Anyway, uh, Chris. Chris. I'm drinking a, uh, uh, it's called Pseudo Sue. It's an IPA. It's uh, the brewery is called Toppling Goliath from Decorah, Iowa. Uh, so it's a Pseudo Sue, and it's what's unique about it. It's not bitter or sour at all, um, but it's so... Um, uh, there's so much uh, uh what's the word sediment in this thing you cannot see through it and it just it's it's all silts down to the bottom it's, it's great it, it really is like uh like a meal you you could do your lent on one of these a day i think which i might is try. there a worm at the bottom of that beer well i know it's it's all disintegrated <laughs> it is, but, uh, yeah it's it's uh pretty thick stuff 
And and, and you say that, you know, you could do your Lent on that. I think that was our very first podcast there, uh, co-host Dennis. It was, it was. Beer was made for Lent. It was made for Lent. And and speaking of doing your your Lent with a beer, I, I, and you had mentioned earlier on guys about having your meal uh, for beer. I picked up this, it's probably, this brewery is a little brewery just between myself and Robert in a place in a town called Whitby and Sprock Street Brewery. And it's called a, I know the title, the title sounds horrible, milk chocolate stout, but it's a great stout. And I think Robert has tried it before and um, it's very Guinness like, and it's, it's a great, and it's so filling. Like you can have this and I don't think I'll have to eat a meal right after. So I'm really looking forward to this one. And Robert, what do you have? Well, for, for, first of all, I wanted to say, I did, I thought we had a rule that you couldn't repeat beers one oh, podcast I, I to the next, because we had that on the last one and it is smooth. It is smooth. Yeah. Staying with the stouts, right, because that's my shape, stout. Uh, I got the Kitchissippi Brewery from Ottawa, which is my dad's hometown. The Corktown Stout. I don't know how it turned, that's, turned it that way so you can read it. The Corktown Stout. And the reason why I picked this is I actually chose this with the liturgy guys in mind. Uh, the Corktown Stout is named after a, an area of downtown Ottawa called Corktown. And the reason why this area of Corktown uh, of Ottawa is called Corktown is because the Irish immigrants, when they came, are the ones who dug out the Rideau Canal that connects Ottawa to the St. Lawrence River. What that has to do with pints and pews is a- absolutely nothing, except that uh, it made me reflect on uh, our own cathedral here in the Archdiocese of Toronto, St. Michael's Cathedral. The foundations of the cathedral were dug out by Irish immigrants by hand. Right? And that, every time I think of that, that just floors me that these guys came over and with shovels and picks dug out the, the foundation of the cathedral and co-host Dennis you know because we've just had it completely renovated our cathedral over the last few years absolutely stunning absolutely stunning so DMAC you're gonna have to come back up to to Toronto and revisit our cathedral because hopefully you saw it while you were here the first time no I saw it after the renovation it was years ago yeah I was up there for some other thing and I had a day to spend and walked around so a lot of the churches in town so you you saw the 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 beauty that they've restored it to yeah absolutely Uh, and again, just your your own background. So, okay, Dennis, guest Dennis has already cracked his open. That, that's oh yeah, the, the, we, didn't the, the, the rest we didn't do the grace. Well, well, we'll we'll crack it open and then we'll say grace before beers. Okay, you're gonna have to drink another one now. Dennis. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Trying to be on my best behavior and only have the one. So are those nitro the stouts? Do they have the little? Uh... They do Nitro. for the Guinness ones, Jesse, but not not this particular. Those don't. One. Okay, not, no. not these no. ones, no. And yours said dry stout. I don't know what that means, Robert. But you, it, it tastes a lot like the Guinness, but it doesn't have the smoothness of the the milk chocolate ones. When you pour it, it turns into sand. That's what they mean. Yeah. So this one, it, yeah, like it's like that. You don't have to let it sit like the Guinness. So, and you've got your. You, I don't know if that sacrilege, co-host Dennis, that you've put something other than Guinness into your Guinness glass. I know. I put a stout into my Guinness glass, so that's that's almost almost as good. All right, so we'll say grace before beers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body, 
and peace and soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Amen. and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you. And uh, maybe one of you can correct my my Latin. First to Sipimus. We know what you mean. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. You gentlemen are kind of in an enviable place in that uh, you work on campus or on campuses or, or is it campuses, campi? Again, this is my, my lack of, of Latin here showing. But I camp, campuses is fine. Campus. Yeah. <laughs> this is America, this except is where you are, it's not America. But in We're, America, we say campuses. Okay. <laughs> so... You know, kind of thinking we're, we're having these beers and we're, we're going to, you know, eventually get into talking the faith. I, I hope that we're not, you know, wasting your evening here, guys. But um, is there kind of like a, a faith and fellowship aspect? You would see that on campus and then possibly outside of campus as well. I mean, Dennis and I, co-host Dennis and I, that's how, how we kind of got started uh, outside of work is just being some guys sitting around having a beer and talking to faith. Do you guys see any of that where, where you are, whether it's in Atchison, Mundelein, or, or La Crosse? Well, here, a lot of people talk about it. You know, they have theology on tap. And in fact, the prayer you just used, uh, I heard because at our Oktoberfest, you know, our, the Benedictine College was founded by Bavarian Benedictine monks. So Oktoberfest and beer is a big thing. So they had the big keg out on the back of this cart and the chaplain came and blessed the beer in front of everybody. And then they cheered. Then they also blessed a keg of root beer for people who were under 21. And so, uh, you know, that was part of the, part of the culture here. Of course, our students are very law abiding. They're in fact good Catholics. So they don't drink very often. They don't apply before 21. Under their, under their age. But yeah, people often talk about getting a beer or having a beer with, uh, I was playing the Catholic card game with a couple of people the other day. If you know that, it's funny, but it's with like the dream was to have a beer with GK Chesterton. Some students were talking about that. That was their dream. Jesse, at, at the Liturgical Institute, do you, do you guys see anything like that or? You know, when we have our conferences or events or things like that, we try to have some type of, you know, cocktail hour or things, things like that to kind of uh, get people having conversations and things like that. But, you know, in, in my circles with my friends, obviously going out, having a beer, talking about where we are in our life. And a lot of times that does lead to faith. I find, and I, I'm sure my co-hosts, uh, Liturgy Guys co-hosts will uh, concur with this. I find that, you know, once you've kind of been labeled somebody who knows something about liturgy, uh, especially having a beer, sharing a beer, all the questions come out, you know, and they just want to ask all these questions that they've been wanting to ask somebody, but don't know who to ask. And so inevitably, you know, the conversation can lead to that. And I am not shy about talking about sacramental theology these days. So uh, especially over a pint, I think there's nothing better. DMAC, you'll remember, um, remember our friend, Father Martin, who wasn't Canadian, but I think worked in work maybe in media yeah uh but he sort of gave the name holy hour we had a there was a holy hour uh at the end of every day and you know students were working hard studying hard praying hard you do a lot of uh um you know you, you pray morning prayer and mass and evening prayer maybe night prayer other devotional prayer and at the end of the day you'd have a holy hour a holy which happy was really hour. code language for the happy hour for the happy hour and uh, yeah, so it was a good uh, a mix of uh, spirits of uh, faith and uh, uh, 
fellowship and uh, and a good uh, and a good beverage as well. Sober yeah. inebriation is what you're saying. Sober yeah. inebriation. That's what uh, Pope Francis said. I mean, Pope Benedict said. Yeah. So it's like an oxymoron, but. As Roberta says, at this point of the stage, I like to uh, unleash my uh, Marcus Grodi and, and get out of the way and, and let maybe the three of you just tell your story. Because if you, if you listen to the liturgy, guys, it sounds like you've been together for absolutely ages and maybe you grew up together, but you've come from different places, different backgrounds. So maybe just give a little brief bio as to how you ended up where you were and, and, if, and maybe a little faith fellowship along the way as to, you know, your background in the faith. Yeah. Which which you two wants probably, to go first? I think probably Dennis should go first, and then Chris, and then He's me. The oldest. I think chronologically, <laughs> you know, that's how our stories in, intertwine. Yeah, and he is the oldest. Okay. So. Well, Chris and I met at the at the liturgical institute. You know, I I grew up in New York and was always Catholic, baptized Catholic, raised Catholic. But you know, I was more of a political Catholic as a young guy. I was so I was kind of a rad tread before there were rad treads. You know, I was going to the Latin Mass when I was 16 and writing essays about it, the liturgy in high school, which, you know, sort of crazy. Nobody was, nobody else doing that sort of thing back then anyway. And um, first job was at the Liturgical Institute. And I remember the day I met Chris because he drove our first director, Monsignor Francis Mannion, from Utah and the state of Co- You were newly married then, Chris, right? You mm-hmm. were newly baby. I don't know. I forget. That, yeah. But. Hadn't been married a year yet. And uh, then Chris was in our first entering class of students. So that's, we've known each other for 20 years. Gosh, you're old, Chris. Mm. And so part of the reason we sound like we know each other is because we know each other. Not to mention, we've both learned the same kind of things that, you know, I taught at the Liturgical Institute for almost 19 years and Chris studied there and then came back as an adjunct. So we're very much on the same page, uh, theologically, intellectually. And I have to say, podcasting with Chris, I've learned a lot of stuff, you know, as a guy, well, Harry, I'm telling your life story, Chris, but as a guy who has to answer all these questions uh, in a liturgy office, you know, these little facts come up and he always has documents on, you know, ready to talk about. So I find that in my classes now, I say things that I've learned from Chris as if it's my own. And I I think that's how it's supposed to go. You know, you just spread the truth and uh, people don't footnote you. Well, God bless them because the gospel is not meant to be limited to uh, somebody's credit in a footnote. Yeah. And, and maybe we should have had you guys do that is, you know, take turns telling each other's story. I think it would have been much, much more fun. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesse. And, and, Ooh, a, yeah. and a little more. I'll a little tell more you about Jesse. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious at 16 there, Dennis, with one end at 16, what drove you to the Latin mass? What drove you to be the radical trad or the rad trad before it was rad to be trad? No. I don't know. I had a, an elderly neighbor who was sort of like my second grandmother lived across the street and she was very smart and very Catholic. And she was old enough to have remembered, you know, the time before Vatican II. And she would read all these books and she would buy books for me. And then, you know, she was an elderly kind of shut in and I used to mow her lawn and she would make me lunch. And then she would just talk to me for three hours about whatever she was reading about this Latin and that and Vatican II. And I, I didn't know what any of this stuff was, but then, Somehow just, you know, it was providential, of course, in the long run. Uh, I remember writing an essay about whether or not Marcel Lefebvre should have ordained bishops, which gave him that excommunication and gave us the Society of Pius X as we know it now. And I don't think my high school teachers knew what the heck I was talking about. I, you know, I didn't know what I was talking about either, but imagine writing an essay for your English teacher about 
schism, semi-schismatic Latin mass bishops. And I would have been worried for, if I was my own parent, I would have been worried for me, but it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, co-host Dennis, you know, what would you do if you got a, an essay on, on that come across your desk? You probably wouldn't know what to do with it either. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I would be very impressed that they would be able to, you know, talk about that, speak about that right on that topic. But I don't, I don't see any of our students doing that Robert. No, uh, no, no. no. So continuing chronological order. Who wants to tell Chris's story? Maybe Chris should tell it. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump he in here his, before either of these case, other yeah. two do. He got his first pair of shoes at the age of 13. <laughs> he got his left ear pierced in 1984. <laughs> and it, but it sealed up pretty quickly. And he got it re-pierced uh, in 2017. Was, that's 10 years before I got my left ear pierced. But we're, gonna, we're not going to go down that story either. So some chris talk yeah uh, uh quick uh, so i grew up in the state of nebraska which is right in the middle of the united states uh i left for college and stopped going to mass so i was from a kind of uh, from a catholic family uh my father didn't practice my mother did and it was uh, friends who invited me back to to go to mass at my uh, college newman center at the university of nebraska and and really uh really started to take the faith seriously and and have tried to uh, ever since then. Um, I eventually uh, met my wife at the University of Dallas and we moved back and I was a philosophy major, moved back to uh, Wisconsin and they didn't have a lot of need for rural in rural Wisconsin for philosophy majors, but there was an opening in the liturgy office. And I thought, well, I don't really want to do that, but uh, you know, I want a paycheck and a house and I like to eat. And so I got hired there and sent for studies at the Liturgical Institute, where Dr. McNamara was uh, uh, one of my teachers. And, you know, I, and I think that um, uh, if, if I know the documents, it's mostly because when I first took this job in the liturgy office, I didn't know anything about it. And I thought, well, I can at least rely upon the documents. That's kind of the foundation of, uh, of you know, the liturgy it should be. Um, you know, kind of a starting point, something everybody should have in common. I might know, not know liturgical or sacramental theology or liturgical history or things like that, but I know that this document says that. So, um, so I started to become really familiar with them. And then when I went to the Liturgical Institute, that started to fill in a lot of the backstory about, well, this is why this document says this. It's because there's this beautiful, rich uh, uh, theology that the church has been working on for millennia and that's why this rubric matters because if you don't do what it says then you're going to mess up the theology and um anyway so that's uh, that's how i got into the into this game and um you know i certainly never dreamt of being a liturgist i didn't even know what a liturgist was and uh, they're generally not good company anyway you see the but, common thread here? I had a degree in architectural history and I get hired at the liturgical institute. I couldn't have defined the word liturgy to save my life at that point, other than go to mass on Sunday. But, you know, God has his plans and here we are. Yeah, wow. The liturgical institute has always had a low standard for students and employees. So that's what really did it all. For that's us. a good introduction. For you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of yeah, low, low standards. Um, so I was also born and raised Catholic. I'm from the Western uh, suburbs of Chicago. Uh, went to Catholic school my whole life, uh, grade school, high school, college, uh, did a few years of missionary work between, you know, one pivotal experience in college. And then another, uh, shortly after college, I would call them, you know, major reversions in my life. 
made the decision to, you know, live my entire life for, for Christ. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I was kind of looking, I was kind of uh, growing beyond my role as a uh, bulletin lady at a Catholic church and uh, editing like an 11 page bulletin every week and doing social media and marketing. And uh, I took the job because it was more money. So it looks like we're all in the business of making money here in the church and uh, had a baby on the way. So I needed to kind of needed a change. But one of the first things I did working at the Liturgical Institute was start a, uh, a film series called Elements of the Catholic Mass. You can still find this. It's a free video series, uh, short, you know, five little, five minute little clips on uh, different aspects of the Mass. You can find it, uh, it's free on YouTube, but there's a website, elementsofthecatholicmass.com. And I basically sat down with the former director, Father Martis, and he would give these little, you know, tidbits on the Mass. And then I would cut the camera off. And then it'd be like 10 minutes of me asking him questions. I'd be like, wait a minute. So you're telling me this, or I, I, I mean, I just, I felt like a newness to my faith that I never felt before. And uh, the, the only way I can describe my fervor for this is that somebody young like me doesn't really have what I like to call liturgical baggage. You know, I was just talking to somebody today who grew up right during the transition of the new missile. And she had a lot of liturgical baggage, things that she was really angry about before Vatican II. And so when Vatican II happened, you know, she was like, bust this thing wide open. Let's do all of these other things. You know, well, she had a lot emotionally that she was dealing with. I don't have that. I never experienced that. That wasn't something that was a part of my history. So when I start learning what the church is actually teaching and what I should be doing in mass, and I've never learned that before I actually got angry at first and I was like why hasn't anybody told me this and so basically since that first you know few months at the liturgical institute it's now my lifelong mission to make sure that nobody else has that excuse you know mm -hmm. uh, rich poor young old catholic non-catholic this sacramental theology thing is really something that has changed my life and it's the lens by which I look through literally everything in this world today and, I, you know, I have Father Martis to thank for that, too. But I would say in a larger part, both Dennis and Chris, we've been doing this podcast for six years now. Chris still doesn't even want to do the podcast. I just kind of make him do it. And uh, I was lamenting with them the other day. I was like, you know, it is harder for me to to be the everyman on this podcast like I was in season one, because I understand what you're saying more. I understand these concepts. I know what you're talking about. Whereas season one, you were like, okay, so the epiclesis, and I'd be like, wait, what's an epiclesis, you know? And so like, I know all this stuff. So I'm less likely to interject because I'm, I'm already on the same page. And so it's, it's more difficult to have that, that newness of understanding, but hopefully, you know, even six seasons in, we still offer an opportunity of an entry point into sacramental theology and liturgical study for people. So kind of my story you absolutely do jesse just interject and and the three of you do it in such a non-preachy way like you almost just go through the germ as another term i picked up and you just kind of hit on something and then you just go the three of you talk about it and it makes it makes so much sense like i was listening to the the show on investments and i'm thinking wow there's so much there i don't think you could do a whole podcast and make it interesting on that and you did well barry you're going to say something i want to come back to epiclesis what is epiclesis? 
It's, it's Greek. You tell it's us what erudite means first, and then we'll tell you what. <laughs> well, but I just I just copy paste off the internet. I think I'm still on dry, I'm still on dry stout trying to figure that one out. Can we go back even further. Thinking and, and looking at all three of your stories together, and I and it's a a phrase I've used a couple of times on the podcast, and I don't know where where I got it from, but you know, God doesn't call the qualified; He qualifies the called. And that really hit me, Chris, with your story. I mean, how many places do you get hired without qualifications? You are so unqualified. That's why. <laughs> right? You get hired with like zero qualifications and they, they send you off of that. But, you know, but God gives us those qualifications as, as we go. And, right. and I saw God's providence even in a doctoral program in architectural history. Like, what does that have to do with liturgy? I was just very lucky. I had a professor who had a quasi-sacramental worldview and teaching architecture. He wasn't even Catholic, but he was a Renaissance scholar and he taught us to read documents and articles and books by people who would have had a liberal arts education. What would an architect have read in the 16th century? So we're reading Aristotle and we're reading Plato and we're reading Pliny. And I'm like, oh, there's this whole worldview that the modern world has forgotten. And then you start teaching liturgy and it just came together effortlessly. And now I'm here teaching this 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, and you would not believe how thirsty and how quickly they take to the stuff that I learned at the liturgical institute. You just see God's hand moving in all of it. And, and when you, you use that word thirst, I was thinking of that as, as well. Kind of as Jesse was saying, you know, I think, you know, kind of looking at the, the Zoom pictures here, aside from co-host Dennis here, I think we're all the post-Vatican II generation. I think my, my co-host is maybe the pre-Vatican II generation. <laughs> we're like a two-year difference there over here. I think we're in the DMAC territory, just looking at, looking at the five of us. But, and again, too, kind of what Jesse was hinting at there is in a lot of ways, we were not catechized growing up. And we were definitely, I know I was definitely not catechized with, with regards to the liturgy. And there is that thirst out there. People want to know why we do what we do. What, and you guys brought, bring that all together in the Liturgy Guys podcast. So how did these three different stories come together to become the Liturgy Guys? Tell the story, Jesse. It was my idea. Oh, yeah, Chris. <laughs> Chris is like, what's a podcast? <laughs> That's literally what he said when I told him we should do a podcast. So, I think I said the same uh, thing to Robert, but go on, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, work at the University of St. Mary the Lake, also home of Mundelein Seminary, where we get seminarians from all over the world who study here to be priests. And there was a student there who was having lunch with Dennis, Chris, and myself, and he was asking something about noble simplicity. And uh, Chris was a, a little frustrated because he had him in class and he should already know uh, all of that because he learned it in his class. But he asked the question, and then Dennis starts answering, and then 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 uh, or sorry, Chris starts answering, then Dennis start, chimed in with something, and then Chris added to that and then Dennis brought it back around and they're talking back and forth I feel like I'm watching a tennis match and I'm just sitting there like this has to be recorded people need to hear these conversations and I don't know really what you guys are talking about but I can be that every man you know to help facilitate that and kind of bring us back to earth if we get too heady but we we decided to start this podcast we recorded eight episodes in, I think, one day, maybe two days. And I happened to be, I had like, I had a cold. So the first eight episodes of our first season, like, 
I'd like talking like this and uh, it's real stuffy and everything. But I remember, you know, running into Dennis's office because he was working here full time at the LI at the time. It was like, oh, Dennis, we have 50 people download our podcast. Like, how awesome is that? And, you know, now we're getting thousands of listeners every week downloading. We have a, a, a strong Patreon community that we engage with. And we, we've done a few live podcast shows, you know, things like that. And it's just been remarkable. We won a podcasting, a Catholic podcasting award, which was phenomenal. Like that was really surprising. Um, and I'll just put my marketing hat on for a little bit too, because not everybody knows this, but it's really just a marketing uh, strategy as well. Uh, you know, it's that whole give something out for free and get people to understand and know something. And then it will, in, you know, incite a desire in them to maybe study here or whatever. But I can tell you that after six strong seasons, something like 80% of the applications we get for our graduate degree program come with this thing. I, I heard about the liturgical Institute from the liturgy guys. I mean, it's, it is a strong influence in people wanting to study here. And why wouldn't you, you know, you get to sit down and you get to listen to Dennis and Chris, you know, digest some really great church documents or explain something. And it just, it's amazing. It's, it's a real pleasure to get to sit down and have conversations with them and in terms of format, they, they plan the show and I purposefully do not want to know what we're really talking about because I don't, I don't want to lose that newness and I want to enter into it in a conversation with that newness as, as much as I can. And so they, they plan everything out and then we, we have fun and we joke around and we make it interesting. And lo and behold, you know, we're growing the brand of the liturgical Institute. We're getting more people who want to study this. Um, and by the way, just a just a plug. One hundred percent of our graduates find jobs in liturgy uh, or working for the church after they graduate here, and the, and we are getting more requests for LI graduates than we have LI graduates for lay and religious. So there's really a need oh, and a hunger out for all of this. And so you know that was kind of the driving force, the very interesting you know topic and format, but then also kind of as a marketing thing for me. I know it's surprising. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, as you were going on, I was already starting to fill out the the application online. (laughs) All right. We just raised the application fee to a six pack, two six packs, two two, two six packs, but two six packs of Canadian beer, which is kind of like, oh, if it's Canadian, then we need a pony keg, I think. (laughs) But you know, at the border, they take some of it. (laughs) Sorry, DMAC, you were going to time in as well. Oh, yeah, just, you know, teaching 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. I'm surprised that, you know, people, I'll have students who come to class and they've already heard of the liturgy guys like when they're in high school or they drive home for Thanksgiving break and binge listen to the liturgy guys. And then they say things to me like, I felt like I was talking with you for the last four hours, which is really cool. I never, we never really thought who would the audience be. But then we found out there's a lot of Catholic college-age students, especially in Newman centers who love the liturgy and they want to hear uh, what we have to say. So I think we're all surprised that people care. On the other hand, we shouldn't be surprised, right? The, the, I think what's special about our approach is what we learned at the Liturgical Institute, largely from Monsignor Francis Mannion, is to take a sacramental view of the world and of liturgy in particular, which is there's a pre-existing reality called God who wants to know us and love us and lead us back to him and nourish us with his very own self. And our job is to be nourished by it and to make that present as fully as it can be in the world. So rescues it from politics. It rescues it from people's personal 
preferences. And when you, the truth is expressed in that realm, people, people start to recognize, oh yeah, that's right. This is the right thing. It's not some um, academic trying to get tenure with some new theory. It's this is the revelation of God's own love for us to the world. And the liturgy is one of the ways and the principal way that, that he does that. And you were talking about how the liturgy is the, the principal way that we get to know Christ. And to paraphrase, one of the lines that you were talking about was that, you know, uh, the, the world seems to be falling apart. And the reason why the world seems to be falling apart is because the world needs Christ. And, you know, what is the best way for the world to get to know Christ, but is, is through the liturgy. So we need to get more people back to the liturgy. And so here we are, we're almost at the end of Advent. Again, by the time I get this all polished up and, and make my co-host sound erudite, um, we'll be close to the end of Advent and the solemnity of the Nativity of our Lord. We're, we're heading into to Christmas. And many of our listeners, not just of the Pints and Pews podcast, but of the Liturgy Guys podcast as well, are, are going to be going to Mass with family and friends who are not necessarily frequent attendees. So thinking about, and, and each of you, kind of your, your area of expertise, you know, thinking about something that you would look at to encourage regular Mass attendees to point out to those who maybe it's the first time that they've been back since the pandemic or the first time that they've been back since Easter or two Christmases ago, I guess now uh, to draw them into coming back on a, on a more regular basis. DMAC, who seems to actually, you know what, we're going to go to Chris has been sitting there just gently sipping on his, on his beer there. So we'll, we'll start with Chris to, to bring him back into the conversation here. Well, I would hope that if you were going back to mass with somebody who hasn't been for a while or yourself, you know, ritually, I suppose would be, I don't know, my area of expertise, but I would hope that something in the ritual you would see or hear or taste or touch or smell something that was just beautiful that you wouldn't get just anywhere else except in the Catholic liturgy. So I would hope, and, and certainly many parishes do invest a lot of uh, extra effort and energy into making their Christmas masses and, and liturgies beautiful. So I, I hope that uh, people coming to a Christmas mass would see something that was, you know, really something beautiful in, in, in this ugly and chaotic uh, world, uh, that this would be a place that they could, they could find some beauty. But I would say, uh, that's not always a safe bet. So maybe uh, <laughs> another uh, uh, answer I might say is uh, one of the things that really, uh, I don't know, uh, moves me or is of interest to me is how the Catholic liturgy is rooted in human nature and nature generally. And I think many people just think that, you know, what in the world does the Catholic faith, especially the Catholic liturgy, have to do with anything in reality, when in fact it's it's rooted in reality. In fact, it is reality. So, I know something that I'm going to tell my kids, for example, is you know as we're coming in this northern hemisphere to the darkest of days, and lo and behold, the light is going to come into the world, and um, after that, the days are going to start to grow longer. And that, you know, it, it's I don't think it's a silly thing. I think it, it expresses one of those things about the liturgy is its rootedness in nature and creation and culture, and that. 
you know, way back in the, uh, in the, in our longest day, John the Baptist showed up and said, I must decrease so he can increase. And Jesus is about to come and the light into the world and the darkness will not overcome it. And it's going to start to increase over time. And I think just making observations like that can show to your kids, your friends, you know, your dad, your uncle, Bill, whatever, that no, 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 the, 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 something about the Catholic liturgy is really tapping into some truths here that are in you um, that should be noticed. You know, again, especially in this world where everything seems to be just up for grabs and changing from day to day and falling to pieces. It's a real place where you can find some, some reality, some truth, some foundation. So anyway, those are some things that I would, I would point out to somebody, I suppose. Yeah, and that that notion of the the five senses and, and really delving into what we're experiencing through that, and, and like you say, that what we can touch and see and smell and hear that is beautiful and being captured by the the beauty of our Catholic faith, mm-hmm. where the the rest of the world is going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe Dennis, you could speak to the architecture of the church. I know in one of your episodes, you did speak about the various types of churches in the fifties and sixties and seventies and how they all should be altar focused. But sometimes, you know, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, we kind of got away from that. If somebody is new or coming back for that, what type of, you know, focus should they be looking at? Maybe that type of, I know my church has always been the one I've been at for the last 20 years, you know, very traditional in terms of the pews facing uh, the altar and, you know, not where you can, I think you said, and, you know, where you could see the ear of somebody else type thing, if you're looking at them. Right. Well, you know, the foundational theology of a church building is that it's called a church, which is very odd, right? We have the people who are assembled as the membership of the mystical body under Christ as their head. And they're the church, right? The ecclesia, as it's known, the called ones. And then we call the building the same thing which is interesting. Sometimes people try to put those as separate. You know, the church is not the building, it's the people. But if you read the rite of dedication of a church, it says in it, rightly, the church building is called a church because it's an image of the church. And so the foundational theology there is that Christ is made of many members. They're all properly assembled. And when they are properly assembled, the mystical body of Christ makes Christ present in the world. So you have the voice of Christ in the singers at mass. You have the hands of Christ, you know, anointing someone in the hospital. You have Christ speaking through the gospels. And when everything's assembled, Christ appears in the world. Think about your church building that way. Every stone, every brick, every tile, every roof beam, every shingle is a member of a body. And then they're all assembled. And then it becomes this image of Christ. So to walk into a church isn't just the neutral backdrop where the ritual happens. It's I've been comparing it lately, and Jesse and Chris will remember this to the well, the first Willy Wonka movie uh, with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And when they first open that door into the factory, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and Charlie Willy Wonka is being you know difficult, and then he opens the door and he starts singing "Come with me," and you'll see this world of pure imagination. That's what it's supposed to be like when you go in a church. Except it's not pure imagination; it's a sacramental revelation of heaven. Heaven, earth, you know, leaves, buds, angels, saints, gems, color, radiance, and light. And so to go into a church is to say, oh, yeah, God reveals himself through matter, which is exactly what happens in the incarnation. God, who's unknowable, ineffable, invisible, inaudible, 
comes to the world, takes on flesh, and reveals God in matter. And when you think of the transfiguration, which is the other thing I love to talk about, it's when that matter becomes radiant, glorified uh, with the light of Christ. So humanity and divinity come together in Christ. And in a sense, creation, matter, and divinity come together in a church building because we actually don't just get a signpost that says, you know, wait around long enough and you can see heaven someday. It's you get to see heaven now. You're looking at a mural of the Trinity. You're looking at statues of angels. You're looking at the people on your right and your left who are members of the mystical body who are singing the, the song of heaven, which is Sanctus, 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 or Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And so if your church is not very much like that, then that's another question. But to really understand, you see that crash. God became a little baby. And why? So that we little babies could become God, the famous line, God became man, that we might become God. So matter, divinity interact, and we get to walk around in the place where that uh, matter and divinity are presented to us. And it's supposed to cheer us on. You see something beautiful, you say, yeah, I want that, because beauty stirs desire uh, for the good. And so look around. If you have stained glass, those are like walls of gems, and gems are the glorified uh, people who are in the walls of the heavenly Jerusalem with their poinsettias around realize, oh yeah, these are like glorified plants. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden of Eden. We're welcomed back in the garden of Eden. When you smell incense, oh, the sweet smell of prayer rising around the throne of God. Um, when you touch cool marble, think of, yeah, the living stones brought to this kind of perfected, polished glory and see your place in the whole history of salvation. So church architecture, it's a lot more complex and rich than, and most people give it credit for. And like you were saying too, unfortunately, in a lot of the, the newer builds or, or the newer builds of you know, our, our solid days back in the, the 80s, early 90s, it's, it really is lacking. But newer builds in the last five or 10 years, I have seen a, a, a trend back towards that, that beauty. And St. Bernadette's where our, my co-host Dennis here goes, uh, one of the things I noticed when I was there for Mass and absolutely beautiful and, and leads the eye to the altar and leads the eye to heaven is going up the the front steps leading up to the altar are written sanctus 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 uh, absolutely gorgeous and I, and I love that and then Jesse the 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 last in chronicle chronological order uh, so then the, the youngest uh, of the guys that are, are here this evening and Jesse I believe, because when we were organizing this, this get-together, you just had a new child. Had a we new, did. A new baby. We just, we just baptized uh, Theodore Benedict Weiler uh, two weeks ago. So uh, That is awesome. Con congratulations. Thank you that. very much. Thank you. And so Christmas is going to be a whole new ball of wax for you. Not, uh, I believe your fourth child, if I remember. Correctly. Correct. 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 So... Those people that are maybe taking their young families to, to Mass for the first time in a long while, uh, what should they be keying on then to, to pray the Mass with a young family? Well, I don't think we have enough time here for my full answer here. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things I, I've seen at parishes, I worked at a parish and this happened there too, is for Easter and Christmas, you know, there's that the Christer Catholics, right? They come mm -hmm. for Christmas and Easter. There's always this weird sense of like, well, let's try to make, uh, let's try to like make what we do popular so that we can attract people to come back. 
And that has the opposite of effect of what we actually need to be doing. What if they went to an experience and they're like, wow, I haven't been in church in a long time, but this is something different. There's something different about this. Because when you normalize or popularize the liturgy, it's moving away from God towards us, which is the opposite of what's supposed to be happening. And I would argue that, and I would, I would, sure, I would be sure that uh, my co-host would join me in the sentiment that in preaching, we don't really preach enough about the liturgy. It's one of the things that you can actually preach about uh, is the liturgy. And so if it were my parish and I were doing some of these things, I would try to use that opportunity to hang on to a point uh, to really reach out to people. And that point would be, we are, we are all suffering. We're all broken. I mean, everybody knows that we're all going through something. We all have something that we're trying to eradicate from our lives. We're all trying to be better. Some of us seem like we're doing it better than others, but we're all in it together. And we all want the world to be a better place. I think most of us do. And if we talk about what's actually happening in the mass and you could do a little bit of, uh, you know, liturgical catechesis, just saying, what are, what's your role? You go, you offer yourself as a victim in the chalice on the patent, and then those elements become Christ. But because you offer yourself, so too you become Christ and you're perfected through Christ. And the culmination of this entire sacrifice is that you eat or consume your own perfection and you are thusly Christified, sanctified, transfigured. So that when you leave the church doors, it's not just you're holy and you're out. Because Israelites believe that anything in the presence of God both became holy, but then conferred holiness. So imagine if you're suffering so much and you know the world's suffering so much, especially during a global pandemic. You can actually do your part to sanctify not only yourself, but the world just by offering yourself actively in the mass, on the altar. And then if we're doing that, then we leave the church as Moses did coming down from Mount Sinai with our faces glowing so brightly that they have to veil them. Can you imagine a parish where everybody is so actively participating in the mass when they leave, all their faces are glowing and they're conferring holiness into their communities, families, and organizations. That sounds attractive to me. That sounds like a parish I might want to come back to, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's one part from the parish perspective. But I got to say, you know, as a parent, I can't always control what's going to be happening in the liturgy or what the priest is going to say or whatever. So as a parent, I have to do my job to prepare my children for all of this. And I would hope that your parents out there are doing your part, especially during Advent, to prepare our children for what's about to happen. And there's many ways you can do that. Our children love the Advent wreath. They, they fight over who gets to light the candles, who gets to blow them out. And then whenever we blow the candles out, the smoke rises and all my kids say, go to heaven, prayers, go to heaven. Mm. You know, like they're just so excited that when they see these things in the mass, it will signal. And then when they see the candles on the altar, they'll think, wow, those are prayers. The smoke from the candles going into heaven. And one of the things I like to do, and I learned this from Chris, uh, I'm only halfway to his uh, bountiful uh, uh, plethora of children. Um, but a trick that I, I stole from him that I use with my children, I absolutely love because none of my children are old enough to receive yet. So when the offertory happens and the priest is preparing the gifts on the altar, I have my children grab their heart, their hopes, joys, sufferings, insecurities, doubts, fears, 
uh, hopes and joys grab their heart. And then we all look at each other is everybody ready? And then we do a one, two, three, and we all throw our hearts on the altar. And my oldest, Agnes, she'll grab the heart of my newborn Theodore. She'll grab his heart and throw it on the altar because he can't do it yet. And I think about that. I'm just like, she's, she understands it. She understands that just in the same way I had him baptized because he could not ask for that for himself. But me as his father, it was asked, I asked that of him for him on behalf of him. She was doing that. She was offering his heart for him because he couldn't do it yet. What, what a better image. What like an amazing image for a family to be participating actively in the liturgy. And so there's, I, again, there's not enough time for me to like really go into depth of, you know, uh, really laying this out in, in more detail. But in short, you know, those people coming to mass maybe once or twice a year, they need to understand that the solution to all of their problems is Christ. And the way that principally is solved is through, through the sacrament, right? That's the best way to solve their problems. And then the other thing that needs to happen is our families need to be preparing. We need to be pre preparing our children for this because we don't want them just showing up at mass and thinking it's just some festive thing that we do. And then, oh, and then we get presents. Like, no, it's, it's really, really much deeper than that. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. And I love that image of the, uh, of you as a family taking your hearts and, and throwing them, you know, on the altar, on the patent, putting your hearts beside the body and blood of our, our Lord and, and having them all come together. And I think, yeah, that, that catechesis that parents have to do to help their children, uh, the catechesis that has to happen to the parents, so like you were saying that the parish needs to be preaching that as well and take that opportunity when they are there at Christmas to, to help draw them in. And, and not going to ask too much more detail because that's season six of the liturgy guys, right? Yeah, we're walking through the mass every step of the way, every step of the way. But if you want, if, if the podcast is not enough, you know, we have an online certificate school with over a hundred hours of uh, content. And the bulk of that is these two gentlemen. And there's a free class that we, we offer. If you want to take a free class with Chris Carson's on sacramental theology, uh, an introduction to the sacred liturgy, you go to liturgy.online. There's a free class, hang out with Chris, learn some really cool stuff. Um, we're actually doing an, an advent sale, sale right now. Everything's half off. Uh, you just do, do ad, type in Advent BOGO. And if you buy anything, we will give you a coupon code for Dennis's course on beauty in the liturgy. So you buy a course and then you give it to somebody as a gift, as a digital gift, as a Christmas gift. So any course you buy, we'll send you a digital coupon. If you buy five courses, we'll send you five digital coupons for Dennis's beauty course to give to somebody as a gift. So there's, there's much more. I mean, again, how much are we going to be able to talk about in one <laughs> little one, podcast one show, like yeah. this? But, but if, if you're anything like me and you just love listening to these two guys talk about this stuff, I mean, there's just nothing better than to you know be in a classroom with them and, and hear them pontificate on these things. I would love to hear De Dennis and Chris, their, their, their course. And I also know of another Dennis who loves coupons. So we're... we're, we're, we're I know the time is getting short, Robert, but I could just listen to these three guys and, and, you know, just include yourself. I, I know you're not teaching with the, you know, 
the same, but the three of you together, just talking about the faith, it's just like, it, it fills the brain and, and it gives you a sense of the beauty maybe that we're missing in some churches, unfortunately, and we were missing, as Robert says, as some of us weren't properly catechized, but you, you just get a sense of just the deepness and the beauty that's there. And, and you know what? And I can see how LI, when, when people sign up for courses and come to the school, how they were listening to this podcast that first got them started on this, because I, I can certainly, as, uh, and Robert will probably put some of the links on, on our podcast, but it's just absolutely beautiful. And it's been a pleasure just to listen to the three of you. And I, I, wish, I wish we could you know, continue the podcast. Maybe we can do another podcast down the road again, Robert. Yeah, with just, just me, maybe next time. <laughs> uh, these two are dead weight, I think. <laughs> so, and, and like I said, too, I know there's a, a Dennis smiling from ear to ear when he heard that word coupon, his little eyes just, uh, yeah. his eyes lit up on that. Well, Bear, we're close to retirement. It's time to do, you know, once we hit that retirement in a couple of years, it's time to do some work on LI, either, you know, virtually uh, online or actually going down. Well, I was going to say a, a road trip is I mean, yeah, it may be in order. So where can our listeners find you guys? I mean, you, you, you've thrown out a bunch of the, the websites, but if you could do that again and they can write them down, I can write them down so I can get them into the show notes. So maybe first of all, the podcast, where can we find the podcast? You can listen to the podcast at liturgyguys.online or sorry, liturgyguys.com. But uh, I just want to make sure that people are, are clear that, you know, this started as an initiative of the Liturgical Institute, but, but as we've grown and, you know, kind of expanded what we're doing, the two other integral parts are Otteringus Bulletin, which is the, the bulletin that Chris is the editor of, and then the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College. Both of those entities, uh, not only are we partnering with, but are, are just doing such great work for the church. You know, so you can come to the LI and take some classes and listen to podcasts. But what you should be doing, especially if you're a big reader, is you should be reading Otterima's bulletin and the amazing articles that they have there. And if you have young children or nieces and nephews that are you know, at college age and looking for an inherently good and amazing Catholic college, an authentic college, they should go to Benedictine College and they could take classes with Dennis there. Uh, and, and so we all are working together through this. So all three of those organizations, but uh, you can listen to the podcast at, at liturgyguys.com. You can take classes with these guys at liturgy.online and uh, you can learn about a graduate degree at liturgicalinstitute.org. Yeah, I'll throw out the Otteramus uh, website. It's uh, otteramus.org. It's a bi-monthly bulletin, but a website, a monthly e-newsletter, a monthly podcast featuring uh, spell, Dennis. Can you just spell that, Chris? For AD, yeah, sure. It's uh, it's like Benite Adoremus. It's A-D-O-R-E-M-U-S. Yeah, and Dennis, we'll give you the last word here. Yeah, well, the Center for Beauty and Culture is an initiative of Benedictine College, which is a little place in Kansas wants to transform culture in America. So the, the board and the president came up with this plan. They call it TCIA, Transforming Culture in America. They thought, well, we're, we're doing great stuff here. We have to turn the light outward. And so the Center for Beauty and Culture uh, is in part a faculty position for me. So I teach courses on art, architecture, music, uh, sacramental aesthetics, which is the theology of beauty, and also uh, liturgy. But then we have a lecture series, we give a prize. We have something called Angelico Fellows where undergraduates actually get to have an intensive experience of learning the theology of beauty in relation to the sacramental life of uh, the church. 
And uh, it's just an amazing thing going on here at Benedictine. Jesse said it already, but if you want a serious, authentic, joyful, and practical uh, Catholic college experience, Benedictine is just hard to beat. It's just, I've only been here in my third year, and I'm impressed more and more with it every day. And so what's their website there? That's benedictine.edu. And I think the Center for Beauty and Culture is, uh, you just do a Google search for Benedictine Center for Beauty and Culture, it'll come up. Perfect. And one of the the things, and I know talking with, with my co-host here, Dennis, when uh, I was trying to sell him on the idea of having the liturgic, lit, liturgy guys uh, come on, he's just like, you know, PhDs and all this, he intimidated. Um, but once he got listening to you, like he's been saying, it's been, been fantastic. And that line from Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, where he talks about the Liturgical Institute in the, the podcast, where he says it's a, a dynamic orthodoxy. Yeah. Not, not dry. Yeah. Not, not dry. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. Who's that first? Who's the intro doing that? Do you, you want to guess? You want to take a guess? Um, I'm going to say it's you, Jesse. No, it's not me. Okay. Someone then, far holier than I. Is it Scott Hahn or no? No, no. Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen. Is that it, eh? Yeah. Oh, you, you had one of uh, Fulton Sheen's experts on the podcast there. Yeah. And so uh, just as we're, we're, we're finishing, Jesse, the sour monkey, how was that? It was delightful. Um, again, high alcohol content. So it's, things are going well uh, I'm in my neck of the woods. I'll say this. One time we had a, a uh, Friday lunch. It was like, you know, you know, you guys know this as well as we do when it gets cold. And then that first day hits like the fifties or sixties Fahrenheit, obviously uh, you're just like, you're just so elated. So that happened you know, three, four years ago. We were like, it was just a beautiful day. You could roll your windows down. We're like, we're going out to lunch. We're going to have a beer. So I ordered this beer and it was one beer, but it was like a special seasonal beer. And, it, and uh, I, I got home after I got back to work after lunch and I was lamenting to one of my coworkers. I was like, man, I don't know what was in that beer, but I mean, I feel it, you know, and I looked it up online and it was 12% alcohol by volume. And I was like, God, yeah, I basically slammed, you know, three domestic beers in, uh, in a lunch period and then went back to work. But uh so it's not quite like there, but I would I would uh, give this two thumbs up for sure. And then so Dmac, who rarely drinks a beer, and there was just something that he found in the the dark recesses of his fridge from the, yeah. the last visit, the the Boulevard Space Cosmic Camper Camper Cosmic IPA. I think it tastes terrible, but uh, not because <laughs> of it, but because of me. That's okay, Dmac. Uh, I'm not a big IPA fan either. I would I say it's uh, hoppy and floral. Yeah, hoppy. And, uh, IPAs are too hoppy. I'll, I'll and uh, bitter, a little bit bitter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but if you like IPAs, it's it's cosmic, man. It's out of this world. Yeah. And Chris, the beer that you had to chew. Yeah, the, the uh, pseudo suit. It was excellent as usual. Uh, it's gone. That's the only drawback. But uh, yeah. Three thumbs up, Jesse. And, uh, we can talk about that later. <laughs> I'm not going to ask Dennis about the milk chocolate stout because I had I had one of those last week. It's everybody's got seems to have an hourglass here today. They're they're all gone. An hour uh, and a half glass, but yeah, the, the hour and a half glass. And my my Corktown dry stout, uh, dry like my personality, not like the orthodoxy at the liturgical institute. All right, so. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us here this evening. It has been a blast. 
thank you. Thanks for the invitation, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So just before we we finish up here, my my co-host Dennis and I, co-host Dennis, the hats. We need to remind people about the the big special hat giveaway. Uh, You can put it on so that all of our listeners in podcast land can see that on your head. Uh, (laughs) How do I get a hold of one? How can you get a hold of one? Will they get to them by Christmas, Robert, if you send them now or? Oh, I don't know if I, we send these out to, to our guests. So we'll get some in the, in the mail to you guys. I don't know if it'll get to you by Christmas. So if you were looking to get a Christmas present, you know, on the cheap for somebody, I don't know if it'll get to you to, to there in time. Uh, but for our listeners right now, if they want to get their hands on one of these, we're doing a giveaway for that. Just so you know, I'm not wearing yours, gentlemen. Your three are right here. <laughs> I won't put them on my head. Good to know. Yeah. But our, our, our listeners, if they were to like the Pints and Pews on Facebook, we're going to draw one lucky winner from those who like the, the Pints and Pews Facebook page. And the other thing we're going to ask our listeners to do is if they were to rate the podcast on their, their favorite platform or give it a, a comment on that, take a screenshot of that because we can't see and juggle all the different platforms that are out there but take a a screenshot of your rating of the pints and pews podcast and send us that screenshot at pints and pews at gmail.com so two ways to win one of those amazing hats like us on facebook or send us a picture of your rating pints and pews at gmail.com so co-host dennis because i still have to to Make Frank. sure we, we know who we're speak, speaking with here. Co-host Dennis, the time has flown by. Like you said, it's an almost an hour and a half glass as opposed to our usual hourglass. My glass is empty. Our guests' glasses are empty. So I think it's, it's time that we wrap things up. Always a pleasure, both the pint and the conversation, especially tonight, Robert. And yeah, especially uh, good to talk about our Catholic faith with these fine erudite gentlemen. And just before we wrap up, there's maybe one small favor we can ask of our listeners. Yeah, if you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line there or at pintsandpews at gmail.com. And again, get yourself in the draw for one of those awesome hats. And we'll chat again soon, my friend. God willing. And until then, remember the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pint, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. <laughs>